Welcome to the How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast, where we learn how to survive horror movies and maybe how to survive life. I'm your host, Ryan Stacy, and this week we're going to be looking at Scream 4 and finishing off the Scream franchise. What is your favorite scary movie? With the reboot, uh, soft reboot and the return to Woodsboro. came out in 2011. I'm joined by a very... I need to be careful with how I word this here. I'm joined by a guest uh, who happens to be my father. Welcome, Todd Stacy. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. I'm I'm actually quite shocked you asked me to do this. I hope I don't screw it up too bad. I think I've got uh, some big shoes to fill. You've had some really good uh, guests on. You've got some good friends, and they're really good at this. So uh, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You've actually were the inspiration for at least part some of the rules on here, especially with the uh, confess to the priest, not the the, the cop uh, from I still know what you did last summer. I guess, uh, I guess I should have been a lawyer rather than uh, an accountant. Huh? <laughs> so, Dad, why don't you give us a little bit of intro? What is your background with horror movies? Well, I think you know the story pretty well. I saw my first horror film when I was 12. My mom was out of town, and my brother took me to Halloween. He could drive. He could just barely drive. He and a buddy wanted to see it. But they couldn't leave me alone, so I had to go with. And somehow, as two 16-year-olds got a 12-year-old into the original Halloween, and I don't think I slept for three months after that. I was terrified. Oh, just terrified. I, I did not ever want to be alone. I'd always check the house when I got home. I did the lock. I did the whole lock and load thing. I'd get a butcher knife out and check every closet in the house whenever I was home alone. If I or if I had to come home to an empty house, it was horrific. So, what did you think when I was in like I don't know third grade, and we'd go to like Hollywood Video or Blockbuster, and I'm just going through the horror movie section and wanting to check out every single one. I did my job. I stopped you. <laughs> uh, yeah, until eighth grade, and then you finally let me watch some. Yeah, we were, I think, at the Dells when you kind of got your first big exposure, right? Yeah, we got and, to watch Dreamcatcher. Uh, our room was not ready, so I kind of let the hotel manager have it, and all of a sudden we got this multi-level suite, and Ryan and Marissa each had their own bedrooms, and Ryan had his own TV, and I think he stayed up all night watching every movie on that channel. Yep. It's a great time. Uh, he made me get straight A's before he let me start watching horror movies. That was the deal. So we watched Scream 4, and you were actually... My first like official, official horror movie that you let me watch was Scream 1, so it's kind of fitting. Yeah, it was a really good one. That's a great, uh, great one to start with. Yes. And so this is the second time you'd seen Scream 4, correct? Yeah, but it's been a long time, and I didn't remember very much of it at all. So it was... Yeah, I, I kept having to think of what the twist was at the end, and I, I, I really couldn't remember. Uh, do you like the movie? I, I did. I just thought it was the light version. Um, you know, they talked about going bigger. You keep going round and round it with this series, and it's supposed to be getting bigger and bigger, and it really didn't. But yeah, it was kind of scream light is kind of how I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I, I think it's a great movie. You know, obviously it doesn't match as, uh, how great the original is, but I still like 4 a lot. I think it's the second best of the four. I enjoy watching it quite a bit. Yeah. But yeah, this is not a review podcast, so... I think they just had big shoes to fill, and it's sure. it just, you know, there's just no way you're going to beat Scream 1, and, you know, it would be a tall tall task to beat Scream 1. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the point of this podcast is we are trying to create a master list of rules on how to survive any and all horror movies. And so we're going to go through the plot of Scream 4 beat by beat, decision by decision, and figure out if we need to add any new rules to our list. We're up to 33 rules, which you can find at our Twitter account, at 
how to horror that's how the number two horror check that out and you can see the whole list there and at the very end of this we will give out some awards for the character who does the best job at surviving the movie and following the rules and whoever does the worst job but we will be going through the entire plot of this movie spoiling everything and so i would recommend watching this one before listening to this podcast because this is a good movie uh so spoiler alert you've been warned Okay, I think that about does it. Let's get to Scream 4. So we open up uh, on two high school girls, Sherry and Trudy. They get a phone call, classic Scream stuff, immediately hang up. Sherry is played by Lucy Hale. Uh, so those of you who watch Pretty Little Liars will know who that is. I had no idea who it was. Or no, it's Trudy. One of them. Trudy's played by Lucy Hale. I don't remember. So Sherry's got a Facebook stalker threatening her. It's pretty much standard Scream stuff by this point, just with this, like a slightly updated version. Ghostface calls, and we get a pretty funny moment where Trudy gets threatened by Ghostface, and she's like, ah, it's for you, and hands her friend the phone. Nice friend. So they get threatened, and they immediately... Rule number one, they know they're in a horror movie. You gotta know at this point. If you're getting threatening phone calls and threatening Facebook messages at the same time... You're in a horror movie, I think. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was classic when uh, Sherry handed the phone to Trudy. I was like, here you go. <laughs> you deal with this. I remember seeing that in the trailer. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to like this movie. <laughs> but, you know, good on Sherry. Right away, Sherry realizes, uh-oh, lock the doors. Are the doors locked? And to the credit, they are locked. Uh, they disconnect the phone. They, they don't re-answer it when Ghostface calls again. But Sherry gets a Facebook message saying, I dare you to open the door. And so Sherry's like, no, I'm not going to open the door. But her dumb friend Trudy's like, hey, I'm going to open it and look outside and call the bluff. Rule number eight is don't leave your shelter. So if you are in a defendable position with locked doors, don't leave it. Especially for a killer calling your bluff going outside. You know, Sydney did this in the original Scream and I, I criticized her for it. I mean, it was a bold move, but this is just dumb. Yeah, it's just there's no sense in doing it. You know, at least look out a window, you know, try to find some other method rather than just open the door. And they even had a chain. They could have uh, unlocked the door and peeped out without unhooking the chain at a minimum. But nope, she just pops it wide open. And if, if you're going to go out and check, at least bring a weapon with you. Yep, lock and load. There's no one outside because Ghostface is somehow already in the house and they didn't notice him standing right next to them. Rule number two, constant vigilance. Exactly. You know, you, you already know something's wrong. Why aren't you paying attention? At least looking around the room that you're in. And then there's a second ghost face. So they both get stabbed to death. But it's revealed that this is all part of the movie Stab 6. So this is all fictional. So I think this is Wes Craven just poking fun at dumb slasher movies here a little bit more than usual. Yeah, he's definitely having a good time. So we can yada yada about them. Doesn't really matter because they're not. They didn't really die within the context of the movie. They're, they're movie characters within a movie. So we meet Rachel and Chloe, who are played by Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell. And they're watching Stab 6, and the whole thing was just a movie. And Rachel hated it. She's like, this is so dumb. This has been done to death, yada, yada. Teens talking about horror movies getting killed. And she hates it. And Chloe's like, I like it. And Rachel keeps insulting it, and then Chloe eventually stabs her. Yeah, that was awesome. Kristen Bell, of all characters, to step in and just, like, out of the blue, pull a knife and stab her best friend on the couch. It was like, wow, what, what a great move. So within the context of the movie, Rachel had no chance. You know, if you're going to insult a, whore, a movie, you don't expect your friend to pull out a knife and stab you for it. Yeah, and where did your friend get a knife that whole time? You know, <laughs> was this part of the plan? Was this part of the strategy? To just wait for your friend to talk too much and just pull the knife? I remember watching it for the first time, and I'm like, Are, did they reveal the killer in like the second scene of the movie? That's cool. No, this is, this is the opening to the movie of Stab 7. Yeah, movie within a movie within a movie which I love it. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I love it. So we finally now we're in the real world and we have two characters, Marty and Jenny. They're, they're high schoolers. They're watching Stab 7. They live in Woodsboro where the first stab took place 
And so now in this universe, there's three stab movies based on Scream 1, 2, and 3. And then there are now four sequels, one of them involving time travel, apparently. So there's, <laughs> there's seven stab movies now. So Jenny hears a noise upstairs, and it turns out she's faking. This is all fake. Uh, she's trying to play a, a play a prank on Marnie. And so she goes upstairs, and it's like, oh, I guess I left the window open. The phone rings. Downstairs. Hey, can you answer that? So Marnie picks up the phone, and it's Ghostface. It's not. It's Jenny. There's a, apparently a Ghostface app you can have on your phone that lets you sound just like him. It's, I actually kind of like that. It makes it a little bit more believable. They all have the same voice changer by this point. I kind of like that. But then Jenny hears something on the other end of the phone. It sounds like Marnie getting attacked. Right, it got quiet and the phone hit the floor and then there was silence. Now, Jenny, there's two options here. One, it's a prank. Two, your friend just got murdered. Either way, my friend is pranking me. I'm very careful when I go back downstairs. I'm just like, where are you guys? I'm not going to fall for this. And we know it's the anniversary of the previous killings. So, wake up, wake up. Yeah, it's been like 15 years, I think. So Jenny goes back downstairs. She finds the phone on the floor. Her friend Marnie is missing. And the phone rings. It's Ghostface. And Marnie doesn't have the app on her phone. Jenny knows this. So, Jenny, rule number one, you're in a horror movie. Yes, she is. You know, the other thing that they should point out, like, the whole town of Woodsboro should just, like, ban phones. (laughs) At some point in time, they all got to realize phones are the problem. And we have another rule. Rule 21 is learn from past events. And everybody in this town has a documentary, basically, of what happened. They've seen the previous films. Learn. No, I think there's a there's some significant learning disabilities in this town, in particular when it comes to phone calls and scary movies and anything threatening. They just cannot learn in this town. Just don't answer the phone. Let it go to voicemail. So Marty's body is thrown through the window. We have nothing to say about Marty because we didn't see what happened to her. She got killed off screen, so we there's nothing to say. And can't be critical of her. You just don't know. Not enough information. So Ghostface attacks her. Can't go out the front door because it's locked. There's a chain on it, and she, there's not enough time for her to open it. So she runs upstairs. And normally I'm critical of pe- uh, people for this. There's actually a rule about it. Rule number 15 is don't run upstairs. But I'm going to give Jenny a pass here because there's a door upstairs that leads back downstairs. There's a second staircase. Yeah, that was strange. There's a weird setup. I've never seen a house like this before, but... There's another staircase that leads back down to the garage. So I'm not going to, that's not a rule violation as far as I'm concerned. It's her house. She knows that there's yeah. another way out. Good point. So good on her for thinking of another way out. The problem comes where she, instead of just going for it, she just hides behind the door. She shuts the door into this area, this unfinished part of her house, and hides behind the door. Rule number 28 is run, bitch, run. Run, bitch, don't hide. You have a clear way out. If you just run out, open the garage door, and get out. Rule 11, get out. Get out! Yeah, if you got a lead, don't give it up. You're hiding in a spot where there's there's exit avenues. If you're just hiding in a closet, that's one thing. But you're hiding in an area where you can keep going. And she just hides here. And it's so stupid because Ghostface finds her, of course, stabs her. And she keeps running. And she's, like, crawling and trying to get out and trying to go out the garage door. But he shuts the garage door on her and pulls her back inside and kills her. Yeah, I don't quite get that. How is a garage door going to close? If anybody who's ever owned a home or or even gone through a garage door, how quickly you find out that they will not close on someone or something. I don't know. Maybe he removed the motion sensors earlier. Who knows? Yeah, it must have been a plan ahead. In this universe, motion sensors for garage doors don't exist. Whatever. But the point is, for Jenny, you need to get out. You need to know when to just leave. You know, I say don't leave your shelter, but if the killer is inside, it's time to go. You got to move. You got to get out. And If you're going to hide... It was, no, just don't hide in a place when you can... Don't hide when you can run. 
running is better than hiding. If you can do it, do that. Yeah, I think there's a saying, if you're in a horse race and you're winning, don't stop your horse. <laughs> so if you've got a lead on a killer, keep the lead. Don't uh, don't stop and hide. Just keep going. So cut to Woodsboro. They got ghost face masks up all over town to celebrate. Some teenagers put that up. So Sydney arrives back in town. She hasn't been back in a while. And she's with her publicist, Rebecca, who's played by Allison Brie from Community. who plays Annie on Community, one of my favorite actresses. And Sydney is now a, a writer. She's written a book, basically how to survive trauma and stuff like that coming out of darkness you know we could see gail and dewey are married they're living in town dewey's the now the chief of police I, I will say that dewey has remarkably healed from all his stabbings and nerve damage and all the variety of injuries that he's had he's in remarkable good condition considering what he has been through yeah now the question is is it because david arquette didn't want to do that limp anymore or is it just because he healed I don't want to have, I, I have no idea. I don't have an answer for you. Dewey's chief police, he gets a call and leaves. Gail's still living in town, suffering from writer's block. I can relate. Kind of jealous of Sydney's success. As Dewey's leaving the house, we meet Kirby, played by Hayden Penitieri, driving by. She's speeding, and Dewey yells at her to slow down and does not get a ticket because Dewey's on his way to something else. Uh, but we meet Kirby, and Kirby's one of my favorite characters in the movie. She's really fun. She's, she's a big horror movie nerd, but is also one of the cool girls. And she picks up her friends Jill and Olivia, who are next-door neighbors. Olivia, she's kind of the girl next door. Not that important. But Jill is Sydney's cousin. Yes. And they're all high school friends. Uh, she's apparently a much younger cousin. Yeah. But hey, that happens. Kirby arrives to pick them up, take them to school. Jill is ignoring calls from her ex-boyfriend, Trevor. And Trevor is trying to get to Jill by calling Kirby and Olivia. Not sure if you spotted this, but as they're entering the school, there's a statue of the principal, Fonzie. Oh, really? From Scream 1, um, right when they open uh, the scene at the school in a the hallway, there's the, the statues right in the corner. That's cool. And it's Fonzie. That's nice. I like that. So Jill gets a call from Jenny, who's dead, who's already killed, and it's Ghostface. And Jill just hangs up, which is the right move. Just hang up the phone, people. But Olivia say, says, hey, I got one of those weird phone calls from Marnie this morning. That's weird. But, you know, it's the anniversary. I think you can just assume it's a prank. Everybody's got this app. Whatever. But the, it's always asking, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, and Kirby almost drives her car. She runs past the stops and drives her car into the middle of traffic. Rule number 16, look both ways before crossing the street. That implies to when you're in a car as well. Yeah, that was really close. They could have got wiped out easily. Oh, there's the main cast. So as the cops are removing the ghost face masks, we meet Deputy Judy Hicks, who's kind of like uh, Chief Dewey's lieutenant, right-hand woman. She's kind of weird. Very weird. She's definitely very interested in Dewey yeah. and... Uh... There's just a creepy vibe around her the whole movie. Yep. You know, everybody's a suspect. She's definitely a suspect. But yeah, she has the hots for Dewey, even though he's married. Not cool, Judy. Back off. You don't want to mess with Gail Weathers. Yeah, don't mess with Gail. You're going to pay. Uh, but they get a call to go to Jenny's house. Um, and it's a shame because this was a deleted scene uh, where they go to the house and you get to see just the blood everywhere. And it's a bummer they cut that from the movie. So at the high school, we meet a couple of other new characters. We meet Robbie, who's this huge nerd who has a web camera on his head the whole time and he streams his whole high school experience. I don't think that's a thing, but whatever, we'll go with it. I mean, he's bugging Olivia, Jill, and Kirby. And then his best friend is Charlie, who's got a crush on Kirby, and they're both like horror movie buffs. Charlie's got a crush on Kirby. Kirby kind of likes Charlie, but she doesn't do anything about it. I kind of felt like they were just really throwing a lot at you early on here, that they were just piling on and not really giving much context. It was just throw a lot of people at the screen and 
you know, give you, I guess, a lot of suspects right away. Yeah. You know, definitely, as I said earlier, they're trying to do, in my opinion, Scream light. And the original Scream had such a unique feeling to it. And this movie tried to pick up some of that. They used some of the same music, but for a lot shorter periods. So it was just, just a slow start with almost too much going on. It's almost like a a perfect remake where it's like a poorly done version of the original. Yeah, they're, they're just kind of rushing through. All right, we got to get this done. We got to we got we have steps one through five. We got to get through in these first three minutes, and that's what they're trying to do. And we have way more characters than the original because we need to have more kills. So we have to get introduced to all these different characters. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot going on right away. Uh, so Trevor shows up and tries to talk to Jill about getting back together, but he cheated on Jill, and Jill's like, "No, we're done. Bye bye." Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing. Uh, so Gail goes to City's book tour event that she's having in town, uh, and Dewey arrives with a bunch of cops. Rule number one, guys, we're in a horror movie. Yeah. Dewey has traced the phone call of the killer to the store, and they go outside, and when they when they call it and they hear the phone ringing from outside, it's coming from Sydney's trunk, the trunk of her car. <laughs> they open, and there's blood, knives, and photos of Sydney inside. Yeah, quite impressive for Ghostface to get that done in the middle of basically a market or or a city center yeah and to get that accomplished yeah it's a good job they hadn't been there very long and somehow they got all that blood and the knife and photos the large photos in there without any problem especially considering they're supposed to be at school right because they're high school students spoilers so all these characters know they're in a horror movie now and this is not their first rodeo so sydney gail dewey should be ready to roll the fourth time they've done this all, after all. And then we get a hilarious scene in, in class at high school where all of the kids find out because they all, like, all of their phones go off at once. And they're like, oh no, Jenny and Marnie are dead. <laughs> so everybody knows they're in a horror movie now. No excuses for anybody else. Yeah, but it just felt like the, the whole cast just said, forget all that we've learned. Forget that we're in a horror film. Forget rule number one. We don't care. We're yeah. going to do what we want to do. Yeah, the characters in this movie are very dumb. So Deputy Hicks... Judy, she's not letting Gail go into Dewey's office to be involved in the investigation. Don't mess with Gail Weathers. I I would be way too scared to stop her from anything. And she'll insult your bakery goods, too. <laughs> Gail wants to help with the investigation. Dewey won't let her because she's not really a reporter anymore. Dewey, just let her help. Come on. It's, it's your wife. Just don't make her mad. Dewey, your track record's not that good. Yep. So, you know, you need all the help you can get. Yeah. So Gail's like, okay, fine. I, you won't let me help you. I'm going to do this on my own. Bye. Uh, so Gail's on the case uh, coming from her own end. Uh, Jill, Olivia, and Kirby all show up at the police station to report the phone calls that they got earlier. And that's good. You know, like, hey, let the police know this weird stuff's happening. You know there's a killer on the loose. Just let them know. And they kind of interview him a little bit. And Sydney's like, you know what? Maybe I should just get out of town. And I like that a lot. Rule 11, just get out. Like, oh, no, I'm back in my hometown and people are dying. Okay, I'm going to leave. But the cops won't let her. Yeah, it probably would have been the best move. And I you know, I don't think she was being selfish with that thought. I think she's just saying, I need to protect all these people. If I leave, maybe I can save them. Yeah. No, that's always Sydney's thought process. She even says in the movie, she's like, what can I do to help other people? I'm leaving. <laughs> but uh, she's got to stay because the evidence was found in her car, so she can't leave town. I think at this point we can safely say, because Dewey actually says it, he's like, uh, he, he quotes Randy from the first movie. Everybody's a suspect! And he's like, I can't leave. Everybody's a suspect. And, yeah. and that's right, because the rule is, rule number 24, trust no one. Everybody's a suspect! And I don't think they followed that rule very well throughout this film. No. City is going to get police protection. 
Not very good police no. protection. <laughs> not very good at all. I think you'd be better off with just none. Just protect yourself. Publicist Rebecca is really happy about the murders. She's just she's chipper as can be. Well, Annie's such a chipper character, you know, from from community. So she just like jumps right in. It's like sees the joy in this moment. She's gonna sell so many books because of these deaths. And then she starts like fangirling over Gail. But then uh, Gail gets sick of it and just kind of smacks her down. Oh, she really insults her. Uh, I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but yeah, Gail really got uh, run over by Annie, and then finally Gail had enough. Yeah. Let her have it. It was great. So we meet Jill's mom, Kate, and she's got a motive off the bat, too, where Cindy and her mom have been the focal point of all this craziness. And Kate, you know, it was her sister who originally got murdered. You know, she's got some trauma from this too this horrible experience and nobody ever asks her about that so they kind of set up that Kate's got a motive too everybody's a suspect so Jill ends up going up to her room and finds Trevor in her room Trevor okay there's police officers outside watching this house very carefully there's a killer on the loose you're gonna climb in through somebody's window right now really well it just tells you how good the police guard is you know I you know I think he looked right out at the police car and the, and the police are not paying any attention to the house the window who's up there at all and we haven't met these officers yet, but we'll have plenty to say about these two fools. So Sydney walks in on them, on Jill and Trevor, and Trevor leaves, and Sydney's like, yeah, lock your wood note, Jill. <laughs> so Sydney leaves the room, and she runs into Judy outside, and Judy is so creepy here. Yeah, she sure is. Everybody's a suspect. They went to high school together, and Sydney does not remember Judy at all. And Judy just comes off like an obsessed stalker a little bit here. Absolutely. So, you know, she's like suspect. She and Trevor suspects one and two. Yep, of course, that's not them. But yeah, they're throwing those those two at us really hard right out of the shoot. Judy, if it turned out Judy was the killer, that would have been fun. I think I think that would have been a really fun one. Yeah, that would have been awesome. I think. So we finally meet these two boneheaded deputies, Haas and Perkins. Uh, Haas is played by Adam Brody, and Perkins is played by Anthony Anderson. They're both good actors, but man, their characters are dumb here. Worst cops. And they're keeping watch outside. And Haas is in the middle of doing a crossword puzzle when we meet him. Yeah, I think, you know, if you have ever if you ever had a duel win the Night of the Living Club, this might be the duel that's going to win the Night of the Living Club. Oh, yeah, these two are certainly nominated. <laughs> and, you know, we, actually, we did do a duel one time. Halloween 4, we did a duel one. Okay. Yeah, and then Olivia returns to her house, and her mom's out of town. She's all alone in the house. Her two, what a terrible mom. Well, her two friends are right next door. All you got to do is go in and hang out with your two friends, but no, you go home to an yeah. empty house. It's tricky, because, like, I get it. Her two best friends are across the street. You know, Kate's there. People she trusts, she shouldn't, because, spoiler alert, Jill's the killer. Yep. <laughs> but she is scared of Sydney. She yeah. thinks it's like, I'm not going anywhere near Sydney. Everybody near her dies. Sydney's the angel of death, is what they were calling her. Yep. And, I mean, she's not wrong. Unfortunately, that sphere extends into the house next door <laughs> for Olivia. <laughs> she ain't going to make it out of this house. Yeah, but it's back to your rule about splitting up. She's separating herself on a, you know, with, with no good reason. Yeah. And join in. Yeah, at this point, you're better off staying with the group. Because even if one of them is the killer, there's at least there's four other people there. Exactly. So I always want to be in a group of five people that might include the killer than off of my own. Absolutely. You're an easy target when you're on your own. So yeah, rule number 19 is don't split up, gang. Let's split up and look for clues. Yeah. Don't go off on your own. Yeah, just another rule that they're just ignoring in this whole film. Yeah. This one is a little bit more understandable than most of them. Yeah, I agree. At least they set up why. At least we get an explanation. Yeah, they tried to explain it away, but yeah, Olivia should have said, nope, I'm not separating myself. Or maybe like, hey, mom, can I come with you? Can right, we, let's, like, get out of town for yeah, a couple Yeah, let's days? get out of town. No. So Jill and Kirby, they get a call from Olivia, and you know, setting all this up. 
And then they hang up, and Jill calls her back, and is pretending to be Ghostface. And it's a horrible impression, but it's super funny because Jill is Ghostface. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then they get a phone call from Trevor, and it's Ghostface. It's a real Ghostface this time. And he knows they were busy watching Shaun of the Dead. Kirby's like, how, how do you know that? I'm in the closet. And Kirby opens the closet. There's no one inside. You're a liar. I didn't say I was in your closet. Cut across to the next house over, and he's in Olivia's closet. Look out, Olivia. It's going to get ugly. And he stabs her multiple times and, like, guts. It's brutal. Yeah, there's blood splattered all over that room. Apart from, like, Drew Barrymore's death in Scream 1, I think this is the most brutal kill of the series. This is tough. Yeah, this is obviously Charlie doing it. Yep. And Charlie's not that big a guy, but he throws her around pretty easily like a rag doll. Yep. Yeah, it's like you can't think about who's under the mask too much because sometimes it's like, eh, I don't think you murdered. Like um, Mrs. Loomis in Scream 2, it's like, eh, I don't think you threw anybody off that building. Right. Eh, no, you, you can't think about that. <laughs> and Jill Kirby and Sydney, Sydney runs in here to Scream and they see all of this. So for Olivia, obviously she knew she was in a horror movie, but she goes into a, a house by herself. And so the only thing I can really say for her is don't split up from the group, don't go off on your own. And it's a pretty minor violation. And, you know, we're definitely going to see a lot more major ones. But by the time she was in her room, I think it was too late. Yeah, I think rule number two, though, constant vigilance. She's staring out the window, talking on a cell phone. That's a good point. And not paying attention to her surroundings. So he, when Ghostface came out, he had easy target, easy easy attack. Yep, but no one expects the killer to be in their closet. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like you say, rule number two, constant vigilance. Yep. You know this is a bad town. You know you're in a horror film. You gotta be vigilant. You can't just be staring out a window talking on a cell phone, asking what's going on over there. And then another point is she's in this house by herself. She should at least have a weapon on her. Rule number five is lock and load. Yep. And she point. should have had something. Yep. I do kind of feel bad for Olivia because like that's just a whole unfortunate situation for her. her mom just happens to be out of town or whatever. Yep. That, that's that's bad luck. We'll definitely see more deserving of death characters in this film than Olivia, I think. So Sydney goes outside, the deputies are gone. They're not in their car. Classic deputies. So she breaks into the house. She's going to be the hero. Yeah, that's her. She just charges right in. I think she cares more about others than herself, and she's going to stop this one way or another. Yeah. Um, you know, she tried to get back up first thing, but they weren't there, so what do you do? You know, she's going to go save this girl because she thinks it's her fault that this is happening. She's in town. This is happening now. But she doesn't have a weapon, and that's... Sydney, that's not great. You need to learn from past events. Bring the weapon with you. Yep, bring something, anything. Uh, I'm surprised she doesn't carry a gun all the time. Yeah, totally. You know, it's like in the, the most recent Halloween film, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, just locks and loads every single step of the day. Yep. And Sydney should be at that point in her life where, yeah, I'm, I'm packing heat. Because she, ha- she has a gun in Scream 3. Yeah, that's right. So maybe at the end of that, she's like, oh, this isn't going to happen for a fourth time. I'm going to get rid of my gun. Or maybe she just didn't bring it on her book tour or something like that. But yeah, she'd bring at least a kitchen knife with you. She gets another a phone call. Um, it's, it's too late to see Olivia. Ghostface calls her. And Jill arrives, and Ghostface immediately attacks them both. And, you know, Sydney, like, sits down. Like, she sees all of this. And, like, oh, she's like, oh, man, I, I got to sit down. This is so much blood. It's like, yo, Sydney, Ghostface is probably still in the house. You have no evidence to suggest he left, and he didn't leave. Grab a weapon, rule number two, constant vigilance. You got to keep an eye out for that kind of thing. The most recent rule we added is rule number 33, never assume you're safe. And Sydney assumes she's safe in the worst place to do that. Yeah, with all of her experience, you would think that she would know better by this point in the game that, you know what, you got to be on your toes, ready to rock and roll, and she is not. Yeah, it, it's not good. So Ghostface stabs Jill. That was Charlie. I probably got in trouble for that later. <laughs> or was it part of the plan? Could be. It could be. It's possible. 
it certainly helped us. You know, the first time you see it, you certainly rule Jill out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like Billy in Scream 1. He gets stabbed a bunch of times, but he doesn't actually be you think he does. And right. Billy can't be the killer. Right, exactly. Now, to Sydney's credit, she does pretty well here. She hits him with a picture frame, throws him down the stairs, kicks him in the face. Yep, she's a great fighter. Yep, and turns around for two seconds as the deputies show up, and he manages to vanish. Yep, right out the back door. And Constant then, vigilance. But then Trevor shows up. So they all, where was Trevor? Did you just run around the house and come in from the back yep. to the front? And then Kirby comes in too, even though we, we saw her in the bedroom. But, you know, trust no one. Exactly. You know, I always assume there's two killers in these movies. So Yeah, I think, you, I think you have to with Scream. So the neighbors are blaming Sidney for coming home. They're yelling kind of mean things at her. And then Haas and Perkins explain to Dewey what happened. And they're like, yeah, we saw him, and I went after him this way, and he went the other way, and we couldn't find him. We ran into each other, and we, we lost him. Obviously, they saw something, and they, they were trying to do their job. So. They were trying. So I, I, I can't really fault them at this level. Yeah. They have plenty of fault coming later, but at this point, yeah, I really can't fault yeah. them. We didn't see it from their perspective, but from what we can gather, it seems like they were doing something. They were yeah, trying. They were trying. They failed. So Robbie and Charlie arrive at the hospital so Robbie can film everything. And Gail talks to them because they run the film club at school. And she's like, okay, you know all the film geeks. How about you give me a lowdown on all these people so I can try and figure out who the killer is. And I'll come in and I'll do a celebrity appearance at your club. They're like, okay, but how about you get Sydney instead? Right, they didn't want her. <laughs> well, the funny thing, too, for me with Gail is like, all right, Gail, you know everyone's a suspect. But here you are running to the two biggest film geeks in the school trying to get inside information. You know, I really thought Gail would be smarter than that rather than going right to a potential killer that she'd be a little sharper. But what do you do? If you need to get into this film group, you got to talk to the president. Unfortunately, the president's the killer. Right. You got to take that gamble, I think. Yeah. What, I mean, what would you do in her situation? Yeah, I guess I haven't put enough thought into what the alternative was. But yeah, she kind of threw herself right into the wolves. And I just kind of give, I, I thought Gail would be smarter than that in, in round four. I just think it was a, a calculated risk. It could be too with Gail that you know the end goal is the publicity and you know she's seeing the next book or the next movie rather than you know putting herself at risk is what she did. Yeah, yeah. If she wants to investigate this thing, I think this is the best way to go. I, th- I think this is a good move from her actually, and it's just unfortunate that the president of the film club happens to be the killer. You know, could could be anybody. You yeah, know, there was she, a big enough group that it could have been someone else. By the logic of the movie, you could go to anybody for help, and that person could be the killer. That's just how Scream works. So it's just like, okay, you either have to do this whole thing by yourself, or you have to take a risk. Yeah, she took a risk. I did think it was interesting within the cinema club that Kirby and Trevor were in that cinema club, and that just didn't seem like it fit too well. That, yeah. that, that would not be one of their clubs. Yeah, they even say Trevor isn't part of that. He's just there to see Sydney talk. Oh, he just showed up that day. Yeah, gotcha. I don't know about Kirby. She might have just showed up too. Well, obviously, we find out later that she's a big uh, horror film fan. I think she doesn't like wear that label as proudly, you know, because you can judge for that kind of thing in high school. Sure. So, in the hospital, Sydney meets up with Rebecca, and there's a huge new book deal, huge like TV deal. Let's do this. And Sydney's like, nah, I'm done. And then Rebecca's trying to, like, oh, no, no, this would be great. Let's do this. You can help all those. Sad sacks that you're trying to help. In yeah, think of the think of the book sales and all the people you can help. All those losers you can help. <laughs> and, and Sydney fires her. That was classic. That was fantastic. So Rebecca goes out to the parking garage, plotting a way to get her job back, and she gets a call from Ghostface. And there's a vague threat in there. I'm like, oh, it sounds like you're in a parking garage. You're running out of time, Rebecca. And it's like, okay, Rebecca, you thought you were on the outside of this thing. No, you're in it now. Rule number one, you're in a horror movie. Right. You're in a dark parking ramp. You need to be on guard. 
ready to go, and she is clearly not. Whenever I go to a dark parking ramp and I'm not in a horror movie, I'm still keeping my eyes yeah. everywhere. Keep your head on a swivel. Nothing good has ever happened in a parking garage. <laughs> she gets in her car. You know, she's nervous. She's checking her back seat. I like all this for her. She rejects her new phone call, and the phone rings. Nope, not going to answer that. Great. Car won't start. Classic. Right, yeah. It's got to be. Charlie had to have planned ahead. Figure out how to disconnect something on that engine. It had to have been a part of the plan. I think it was Jill. Jill's in the hospital getting taped up, right? This parking garage is at the hospital. Oh. Yeah, I think this is Jill. Because Charlie's outside with his buddy. Like he can't, It's like, how is he going to split up from Robbie? Yeah, that's true. How does he get away from Robbie? So I think this is uh, I think this is Jill. The car won't start, and then Ghostface lands on the hood of her car. So, you know, she sees another car. She's like, help me, oh, help me. Turns back around, Ghostface is gone. Yeah, but what's wrong with the horn on your car? Why didn't she hit the horn? Yeah. So this would fall under rule number 10, don't panic. If a serial killer is on the hood of your car, I mean, granted, this is the perfect time to panic, but you can't panic. You got to honk your horn. You got to do something to get attention. Yeah, she's trying to yell from inside a car with the windows closed as a car is driving past. It's like not going to work. Rebecca, you are in big trouble here. You at least hit the horn. Yep. But nope, she is not. Ghostface disappears and she gets out of the car. Oh, this is bad. Rule number eight is don't leave your shelter. The car counts as a shelter. Unless you have to, you stay put. Or at least know what side of the car the killer's on. If you got to get out and they're breaking in, go the other way. She has no idea where this guy is. He could be under the car ready to slash her ankles. Exactly. This is so stupid. You stay put. And she gets out of the car. And not only that, she has high heels on. I know. I saw that too. And it's like, what are you thinking? Lose the shoes. Lose the shoes. So I'm going to actually add a new rule because, you know, I don't have to deal with this because I don't wear high heels. But if you are in a horror movie and you happen to be wearing high heels, you don't get to choose when a horror movie happens to you. So you could be wearing high heels and it happens. That's not your fault. But when you have the opportunity to ditch those high heels and go barefoot, you do it. When there's a guy with a ghost face that has been on the hood of your car staring at you, tapping a knife on the, the front windshield, yeah, lose the high heels on the spot. Hell, you could take those off and use them as weapons. Heck yeah. Who did that? Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller did that, and I know you did last summer. She used it to break her way out of a cop car window. She, You can use those as tools or weapons or something. They're tough. Yeah, I think in Single White Female, I think there was a character that was killed by like a four-inch spiked heel that went right through the eyeball. Wow. I'm going to add a new rule. This is rule number 34. Wear sensible footwear. (laughs) You know, if you're in the wilderness, wear hiking boots. If you're in this sort of situation, don't wear high heels. She had the opportunity to ditch them. She had it. She had plenty of time. She didn't need to get out of her car. She gets out of her car with the high heels still on. It's crazy. Yeah, bad move after bad move. And she pays the price. Oh, yes, absolutely. She checks underneath the cars, which is like, okay, it's already kind of too late at that point. You already get slashed. So why, why bother checking underneath the cars? The car alone goes off. She she runs. So she's running in high heels. She gets to the door. The door handle breaks off. And Ghostface runs up and stabs her. Right. She's done. She stayed in the car. But she has one more big role to play. Yep, we'll get to that in a second. So Dewey's giving a press conference, and Gail's asking questions, and Dewey's just like, no, dear, not now. It's like, dude, just answer your questions. She can help. Uh, and Rebecca is thrown off of the parking garage and lands on top of the news van. This is this is pretty good. Yeah, it was really good. That's kind of the biggest move they made, the biggest splash, so to speak, yeah. um, in trying to go bigger. And that's really the only time where I think they really were really able to go bigger with that, yeah. that body hit. They blew in. half their budget on that scene. <laughs> I bet they did. So we cut to Cinema Club, and Charlie, Robbie, Kirby, and Trevor are all there, and then Gail and Sydney are visiting as well. And Charlie suggests that the killer should be filming his murders. That's the next step. 
Interesting. Sounds like something a killer would say. <laughs> <laughs> They're going over how this is a remake. Their new rules, the old rules don't apply anymore. The audiences are wise to that now. So if you do something that should keep you safe in the, uh, a movie these days, that'll get you killed. So it's, there's no way to win anymore is their theory. So do you think that because all these characters are nor- uh, ignoring all the basic rules that it's because they're taking it to this new level where there are no rules, where n- rules don't apply. Do you think that's their strategy saying, all right, yeah, in the old days, you had all these rules. You had to live. If you wanted to live, you had to follow these rules. But now in this new realm, there are no rules. You do whatever you want and you ignore the old rules. Yeah, because it's, you know, shot in the dark, you're going to live or not. Do, do whatever. Who knows? Uh, complete chance. That's interesting. That. That's an interesting theory, and that makes more sense than anything else I can think Right, because I don't know why these people are just ignoring all these common sense rules to keep themselves alive. They're just throwing it out the window, and it just keeps happening. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think. That that actually makes some sense. Uh, The only, they said the only surefire way to survive a horror movie is pretty much to be gay, and I have no idea where they get that, because I've seen all these horror remakes, and that is not a thing. Right. So, where did you get that? Whatever. So they're kind of going over the, the classic stab formula, scream formula, and the next step is the party. Right. And so Sydney and Gail are like, oh, so are there any parties happening tonight? They're like, well, there's Stabathon. What's Stabathon? Well, it's like this party every year where we marathon all seven stab movies. So you're saying there's a stab themed party with the stab killer on the loose? You should probably cancel that. Yeah. Well, no. How many kids got to die in this town before they start canceling parties? Oh, man. You know, it's like in that movie Footloose. They cancel dancing. Yep. It's like, you st- what's bro? You got to cancel these parties. Ban these movies. Cell phones and youth parties need to be just banned from Woodsboro <laughs> forever. And so they're not going to cancel the party. And Gail's like, okay, can you at least tell me where the party is? No. Seriously. Uh, you know what? Last last time we added a new rule, rule 32 is play stupid games, win stupid prizes. There you go. Everybody who goes to the Stabathon party is playing a stupid game. And I don't feel bad for anybody who gets killed there. Nobody's going to get killed there, but they should have. This is so dumb. Ugh. So cut to Jill's house. Sydney's trying to make Jill feel better. And Jill's like, oh, I want to. How do you handle all the attention? Why do you want to know, Jill? <laughs> <laughs> foreshadowing, foreshadowing. And then this bugs me. Sydney sees someone in the other room for just a second. And she goes in to look and there's nobody there. And then she kind of just lets it go. Yeah, I didn't quite get that scene. I don't know who that was supposed to be. It's never addressed or explained, but um, Sydney, go check that out. Do a thorough search of the house real quick. Yeah, is it Charlie's in the house? He's talking with Jill. Is it Jill? Like, Can I, can I leave now? Can I sneak out yet? Yeah. No, okay, she's still there. Is the coast clear? Can I get out? Like, What was that? I don't know what that was. Cut that out of the movie. We don't need that in there. Jill's talking to Kirby on the phone. Kirby's at Stabathon. She's going to get wasted drunk. Good idea. That's a great really idea. Really good idea. Uh, Trevor's there. Robbie and uh, Charlie are there because they're running it. It's a nicely lit barn kind of in the middle of nowhere. And Gail has somehow managed to figure out where it is. Probably just following. Pick a teenager. Follow him. Yeah, they didn't explain how she got there, but she figured it out pretty easily. I, yeah. She probably honestly just followed Robbie or Charlie or something. I, I think this would be pretty easy to find. So they start. she's planting cameras all around the place. Yeah, she puts on a ghost face mask and is sneaking around putting cameras out. And her plan, as far as I can tell, is she's going to sit in her car and have her surveillance system up and just watch for stuff. Because this is where the, the bloodbath is going to be, allegedly. So she can stand by ready to call the cops. I, I think this is a fine move if you want to be a hero and maybe get a little publicity out of it. Yeah, I think that's Gail. You know, it's certainly not a smart move. A, a, like you said, going to the party is just a bad move. But 
we know Gail's motives. She wants her career back. So, yeah, she's planting the cameras. Little does she know, someone else is a step ahead of her. Yep, someone else is inside and starts, like, taking down her cameras. Yep, they already planted cameras before she got there, so they figured out where her cameras were and then covered them up. And it's Ghostface. So, good on Gail. First thing she does is calls for backup. She calls Dewey's like, hey, here's the address. This is where the party is. Killer is here. Please help me. And Dewey's a huge jerk to her for no reason. Well, remarkably, he gets there fast, and it supposedly this is out in the countryside at yep. a barn. But later, when Dewey really needs to be there, it takes him forever to get to the final scene. So it's just like, it's remarkable that it's this time. What is the layout of this town? Yeah. <laughs> but Dewey's being a jerk to her for no reason. I, I don't get it. Uh, so she hangs up on him and is like, I'm going to go t- fix my equipment. And she goes in, and she doesn't have a weapon on her, which isn't great, Gail. Lock and load. You know the killer's inside. Lock and load. You should know better, Gail. And Dewey is on his way, at the very least. Gail goes to fix her equipment. She finds the new web camera. She realizes what's going on. As Dewey's arriving, the ghost face attacks Gail. And they have a a brief fight. And Gail's, you know, defending herself. She's not getting stabbed. And, but she does get stabbed once as Dewey comes into the barn and fires a shot at Ghostface. So he clearly got two shots off, right? Or was yeah. it three? It, it, was two or th- it was two or three. And he didn't even get anywhere near the target. Which is crazy because it's shown in Scream 3. He's a good shot now. He's a really good shot in Scream 3. <laughs> so he must just be rusty. Or he was just full-blown panic because it was his wife. Yeah. Yeah, don't panic. You got to make your shot. But as Dewey arrived, he calls for more backup too, so that's good that they were, you know, getting, they're, they're pretty good at calling in backup in this movie. Yep. That's one thing the adult characters are doing right. Gail, she's injured, and they're going to take her to the hospital, but Ghostface escapes. Meanwhile, back at Jill's house, outside, Haas and Perkins are discussing movie cops. Here instead we go. of paying any attention to what they should be doing. Here we go, the two knuckleheads are on the loose. They're talking about this, and Haas eventually decides to go for a perimeter check. <sighs> I get you need to do perimeter checks. I get somebody needs to stay out front. I feel like you should have more cops. Yes. Or put one in the house or maybe even both in the house. Just don't sit out front. Yeah, just maybe somebody on the front porch, back porch. Better. I it's, I don't like any of this. This is horrible. Bad planning, bad, bad police work here. You know, I worked security. I've had to hold perimeters before. And we have more people. You know, you, if you don't have a proper perimeter, what's the point? So this is terrible. Have a tighter perimeter if you can't do something this wide. So I don't know who to put that on. If it's Dewey. Dewey. It's Dewey. This is all on Dewey that he set this perimeter up and yeah, it's a failure waiting to happen. Rule number three is do your damn job. And I think we can throw this at Dewey, Haas, and Perkins. All three of them are not great cops. Uh, meanwhile, Sydney, she hears some wind chimes outside. And it's like, that's a weird noise. So she goes to take him down. And Haas calls Perkins that he sees an open window, so he calls him on the radio. And we don't know if Perkins is not answering on purpose or maybe there's an equipment malfunction. We, we don't know that, to be fair. No, we don't need to be fair here. He was playing games. Well, he was, because it turns out Perkins is playing a prank on Haas, which is the worst time to do. And we'll get to that in a second. But I, I, I do want to be fair. It's possible it was just an equipment malfunction. It's possible. It's possible. 1%. I'll give you a 1% <laughs> on that one. This is a senior cop picking out a rookie cop. Haas goes back, and Perkins is, like, pretending to be dead in the car. But he's like, oh, boo, I got you. Boo. Rule number four, don't be a menace. <laughs> this is no time to be playing pranks on anybody. Rule three and four. Yeah. Do, do your job. job. Don't be a menace. This is awful. And they're not paying attention anymore. Right. Constant vigilance. Yeah. Ghostface uses this opportunity and stabs both in the death. Two, three, and four violated within moments of each other, and they pay the price. Haas and Perkins are pretty bad here. This is a colossal fail on their part. 
they were all right earlier in the movie, but this is this is bad. Perkins makes up for it with a great death. Yeah, in which uh, Wes Craveny, that's based off a true event. Oh, really? So that's why he used it in the movie. And I think the studio didn't like it. Oh, wow. But so he filmed it without their knowledge or consent. Wow. And he's like, I hope I don't get fired for that. But yeah, that's based off a real event. Really? I don't think it was a cop, per se, but it was like somebody got stabbed in the head and walked to the emergency room. Right in the forehead. Yeah, and I think I don't know if they lived or not, but they, they walked even longer than uh, he did and wow. made it to the emergency room. You know, I guess the, I'll give them I'll give the the filmmakers credit for this one. This is a, kind of the second big go big moment, mm-hmm. and that was a pretty good moment. Yeah, I like that kill a lot. But uh, these characters are idiots. Yeah, without a doubt, they they're violating rules, and uh, they they both paid the price big time. <laughs> Sydney hears the wind chimes again. She goes, she grabs a knife immediately. He's like, nope, that's not good. And it's just Kate. Kate's back. She was grocery shopping. Goes back out to her car to grab some more groceries. Gets a phone call. It's Ghostface. Turn on the TV and news report of what's happened. Gail's been injured and stuff like that. And Ghostface says he's, he's going to take out her family and then take out her. That's the implication. So Kate and Jill are targets one and two and then coming for Sydney. Yeah, that's it's got to be Jill talking because the menace in her voice is really clear that yeah. Jill, Jill's taking the family down. There's some vitriol and some hate in that one. And so yeah. it's got to be Jill. And Sydney goes up and upstairs and finds Jill missing and sees some messaging between her and Kirby. Kirby's coming to pick her up. Sydney goes back downstairs, tells Kate what's going on. And Ghostface is up back. So they lock that door. They try and run out front. And there's another Ghostface there. So so clearly now we know there are two Ghostfaces. Yeah. They managed to push Ghostface back out. And they're, they're, they managed to get the door shut. But there's a mail slot in the door. <laughs> I like this kill a lot. And Kate gets stabbed through the back of the head just because she's poorly a poor alignment. Yeah. Yeah, they put up a good fight. And then she just was holding that door for a, maybe a moment too long and, and paid the price. Yeah. I don't even know what rule this would be. You know, because that one I... I I almost can't hold against her because you have to get that door shut. Right. And, you know, you, the way you need to position yourself, it's, boy. Yeah, maybe just move a hair faster. Once that door's locked, just move faster. Just get out of your it, way. Just get out of it. But it, it didn't take long yeah. for that knife to come through the mail slot. Kate's barely in the movie. She's in, like, three scenes in the whole movie. And, honestly, I don't think she really makes any mistakes. I think it's just bad luck that there happens to be a mail slot there and... Well, a going to the grocery store. I suppose. And at nighttime. I suppose. That's a good point. Probably unnecessary. I assume she thinks she's safe at the grocery store. Yeah, but she's all by herself. She's, yeah. split, she's splitting up from everybody, which is one of the rules. Don't split up. Yeah, I guess it could be a little bit of rule number 33, never assume you're safe. Yeah. You know, and even when you get the door. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the closest thing we could have. She gets the door closed, assume you're safe. Nope, knife comes through the door. Right. And, and you know, I've seen it in movies where that happens for, and it doesn't need to be a mail slot. The knife just comes to the door and gets that person. So I guess just never assume you're safe is the one thing I would say about Kate, if there's anything. But honestly, she's probably one of the better characters in this movie in terms of following the rules. Right. Because it's really just one for her. So Sydney takes the car keys, and she's trying to leave, and she runs into Judy, Deputy Judy, out back. Shows her the body real quick, because she doesn't trust Judy. Yeah, more suspicion on Judy. And shows her the body, and Judy calls her back up, and Sydney just gets out. She's like, nope, I'm not going to wait around for you, because I don't trust you. I'm going to take this car, and I'm going to go try and save Jill. Dewey and Gail, they get to the hospital, and Gail sends Dewey out to go get back to work. Can we go back to one second here? We talked about this a little bit, that we are assuming that there are two people at the house, Mm -hmm. two ghost face characters, but we know that Jill is at the party with Kirby at this point. So somehow Jill got back to the house, and that just seems like a little flawed there. The only thing that makes any sense is that Jill did this before Kirby came to pick her up, right? But here's the thing. If there's two Ghostfists here, how did Charlie get there right. when he's been with Kirby like this whole time now since the party? So there's 
a bit of a plot yeah. hole here. But let's not think about that. Yeah, I think uh, maybe they just filmed it just slightly out of sequence. The, the Kirby connection should have come a little bit later. So Robbie, Charlie, Kirby, and Jill, they're all chilling at Kirby's house now. And they put on Stab 7. That's great. Let's watch a horror movie like right now. And they kind of discuss things like, oh, well, no one got killed at the party. And they're like, oh, the party was the fake ending. This is a remake. So the movie's still going. Great. What? Okay, so... Th- this is so bad. And, you know, Charlie and Jill, they're the killers. So Kirby and Robbie. Robbie is getting drunk. He has a bottle of booze, and he's just taking shot after shot after shot. Yep. And Kirby is focused. She's also drunk. And she's focused on flirting with Charlie. What are you guys doing? Yep. Pay no attention. Don't be vigilant. Wander around outside drunk. You know, don't, you know, make your own rules, people. Just make your own rules. But guess what? You'll find out what happens to you when you do make your own rules. And so Trevor just walks in, and he's like, yo, you should probably lock your door. But to be fair, to be fair, Charlie was the one who left unlocked. He's the killer. What does he care? Yeah, he doesn't care. He knows he's safe. So Trevor's like, yeah, Jill texted me. So what's up? And Jill's like, I didn't text you. Jill totally told him to come here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It it, it makes more sense than that knowing Jill and Charlie are the killers. Like, this seems awfully convenient. (laughs) So Jill goes out to, like, find her phone. It's like, I I didn't text you. I'm going to go prove it. i got to go find my phone because it's missing, but I'll be right back. And Trevor uh, goes after her. And Robbie's just getting wasted. What an idiot. Yep, and then he goes out goes out on the patio. Yep. He gets hit by the plant. Yep, so he's doing his webcam thing, and actually hears, hears a noise. And then he bumps into a plant, and then forgets about the noise. Yep. Dude, rule number two, constant vigilance. You dumb idiot. So Kirby and Charlie, they kiss, and Trevor walks in on them, and he's just interrupting everything, and Charlie just storms off. Which is interesting. I want. I really want to know what like his character's thought process was right now, because his whole thing was he liked Kirby forever, and she ignored him, and then so he got with Jill and became a killer. So, yeah, but I, I think he, he had a side relationship going with Jill. We didn't know about till later. Yeah. So, but like now that we know everything, I wonder what he was thinking there when he stormed off to go do like. Maybe he was having second thoughts or something because Kirby's all of a sudden showing interest. Yeah, um, I suppose it's possible, but I think he was committed to the bid at that point. He yeah. Was, he was all the way in. And Trevor leaves again to go find Jill. So Robbie gets distracted by his webcam. He's out front all by himself. Don't split up, gang. And Ghostface finds him and stabs him multiple times while he's busy with his webcam. Rule number two, constant vigilance, Robbie. Yep. Yeah, this is Robbie was so bad because he went to this stupid Stabathon party. He went to this after party with the rest of the main cast. I think you can assume that's the main cast because Jill is related to Sydney and she already got stabbed once. Then you get drunk, then you go outside, and then you wander out by yourself and get distracted with your stupid webcam. Making up your own rules, buddy. Making up your own rules. Yeah, and this is a guy, and then he tries to say he's gay so he doesn't get killed lately. That's how that worked out for you, bud. Yeah, laying on the ground, <sighs> bleeding to death. Good job. Kirby, I, I must hear this or something. So she, Because she shuts off the movie. And she runs into Jill. And he's like, yeah, Trevor's lying. I didn't text him. You totally did, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> and Trevor's now missing. Everybody's missing. Charlie, Robbie, Trevor are all gone. Don't split up, gang. You're in a horror film. They go to the front door and Sydney's there. And then Robbie stumbles in dying. He's like, run! And Ghostface shows up and attacks them. And Kirby goes off by herself somewhere, and Sydney and Jill go upstairs, and Sydney comes up with a pretty clever plan after she kicks Ghostface down the stairs, which is pretty cool. But she has Jill hide under the bed, and then she fakes it like she helps Jill off the roof. It's like, yeah, Jill, run, go get help! And distracts Ghostface by climbing out on the roof. I do want to introduce a new drinking game to the world. You know, in the first film, 
Sydney rips on people for running up the stairs when they should be running out the back door or the front door, get out of the house. And, you know, every time Sydney runs up a set of stairs, people should have to be drinking. Yep. She does it a lot. And this time there wasn't really a good defense for it. You know, she and Jill do run up the stairs. Rule number 15 is don't run upstairs. There were other ways to go here. But she uses the stairs to her advantage here, I guess, and kicks Ghostface down them. Right. I want to give Sydney a little bit of credit here. I'm hoping she saw the house, realized, if I need to, I can get on that roof and get down fairly easily. Because she does. She jumps off the roof and is fine. Yeah. So it must be a low roof. Yeah, she's able to run around the edge of that roof pretty easily. So I'm just hoping Sydney noticed that. Because she's had to climb out on roofs before. Yep. And she's fallen off them before. So I think Twice now. I think she happened, that happened to her in Scream 1 and 3. So that's all I can hope. Sydney calls Dewey and gives him the location of everything. So that's awesome. Great. Cops are on the way now. All right. So we should, we really should, what we should have done is start a timer at that point in time. How long does it take Dewey to get to this house, which has clearly got to be in town? We didn't see any other houses from their location. I know, but it's, it, that he made it to that barn in no time, and yeah. now it's going to take him 20 minutes to get to this house. <laughs> yep. Dewey, drive faster. I, I, I don't know what's going on there, but she gets the address out. That's great. The city manages to get down off the roof and goes back in the house. And then she meets Kirby. Yep. Runs into Kirby. And they go down to the basement. Kirby's like, yeah, phone's down. Internet's down. I can't get through to anybody. And Sydney's like, yeah, cops are on the way. Don't worry. But then Kirby's asked, like, where's Jill? Is she all right? Sydney's just like, oh, yeah, she's fine. Doesn't say it because she doesn't trust Kirby. Right. And it's great. So they're down in the basement. And Charlie appears covered in blood. And Sydney's like, hey, you can't trust him. Don't let him in. Yeah, she wouldn't let him in. And Kirby doesn't do it. Rightly so. Because he's the killer. And Ghostfish shows up and attacks Charlie and ties into a chair. And they do a whole trivia contest just like the first movie. Which is pretty fun, I gotta say. Sydney leaves to go get Jill. She grabs a knife and she's gonna go upstairs and go find Jill. Yeah, I think this is the first time that Sydney locked and loaded. Second time. She did Second it once time. earlier in the movie. Okay. Kirby gets the questions right and nobody's on the line anymore. So she goes outside to untie Charlie. Trust no one. Trust no one, Kirby. Stay she, in the stay in the house. She doesn't see and not so constant vigilance because she doesn't see Charlie has a knife like under his hand or under his arm or something. Yeah, he pulls a knife out of somewhere. Yeah, he pulls it. He she unties him and stabs her and leaves her for dead. And, and I, we have to assume she died. But I do know this. I think there was originally a plan for Scream Five, and if there had been, Kirby was going to come back because oh. last time we see her, she's still alive. And because I think uh, Wes Craven really liked that character a lot, and everybody likes that character a lot. If there had been a Scream 5, I think she would have lived. But there's no Scream 5. So, Kirby, we're assuming she died. So, for Kirby, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. She went to the party. She has these kids over. Trust nobody. She, she's too trusting to let all these people in her house. She's driving like a maniac. Yeah. You know, she knows all this horror movie stuff, and yet she can't do it in action. She's like she's a great student, but horrible in practice. Maybe it's just that everyone in this town just are, is saying, the rules don't apply to me. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Yeah. But ultimately, her, her death comes from not being constantly vigilant and trusting the wrong person. Right. And we lose Kirby here, which is too bad because she's probably my favorite of the new characters. Yeah, I think I think she was a really good character mm-hmm. in comparison to some of, some of the others they introduced. You know, Charlie is not that great. Um, Robbie, not that great. Robbie's good in theory. Yeah. You know, a webcam guy, that's interesting. And then he kind of falls apart. Yeah. Not as interesting. But I think Kirby's the best one for sure. Yeah. I just don't think the actors really delivered like they did in the first film. Yeah. There's no Matthew Lillard and there's no Skeet Ulrich here. Right. They really came through uh, in that first film. Or these guys, they're a little on the light version. No, no Jamie Kennedy doing Randy Meeks. Exactly. But she comes the closest. I think, I think she's pretty good. And I think she would fit in with the, the initial guys. So do you think this is a directorial problem where he couldn't get it out of the characters? Or do you think this is the, just a bad cast? I think it's the writer. 
I think there were some issues with the writing. Um, They had the original writer come back, and then they had somebody else come in and finish it. So I think there might have been some issues there. It got a little vanilla. Sydney notices Jill's no longer under the bed, and she goes back out into the house, and Charlie gets the drop on her and holds a knife to her throat. To her credit, she throws Charlie off him and, like, smashes him back into the wall and takes out running. She's trying to get out. She knows, like, I gotta go. Runs straight into Ghostface Knife, and it's Jill. And they're the killers. They they pull Trevor out of the closet. They're going to frame everything on Trevor. Jill's got a gun she took took from the cops. Yeah, the cops gave this to me for my protection. That's, that's no, that's not what happened, but that's what she's going to say. And then she shoots and kills Trevor. And we don't know what Trevor did wrong. We didn't see him get captured and tied up. And at this point, you know, he can't do anything. He's tied up. But he did go to the, both of these parties like an idiot. I think it's probably his biggest mistake was apparently cheating on Jill. Yeah. That's probably what really cost him the most and, and probably set her off. Yeah, so rule number four, don't be a menace. It's rude to cheat on people. Don't do that. But also going to these parties, going, going to both of these parties, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Well, and he's been out running around at night yeah. multiple times, popping in windows, showing up the scene to the crime. You know, he's just begging. He's just begging to get killed. Or framed, or both. Right. And that was the goal, and he's the perfect person to pin this on. Yep. Ugh, Trevor, Trevor, Trevor. And Jill and Charlie, they're, but they're basically what they want to do is they're going to pretend to be the sole survivors and get famous. And Charlie, I think he's doing this because he's in love with Jill. And Jill, this is Jill's, mostly Jill's idea. Oh, then Jill starts monologuing here, and she's just talking about fame and how the only thing that matters is fame. Yeah, and she's sick of being in Sydney's shadow and all this stuff. It's a great monologue. It's it is. really unhinged. Jill's great. Yeah, Emma think, Roberts is so good. Yeah, I think one of her quotes is, sick is the new sane, and you don't have to achieve anything to be successful now. With the, the internet age and um, Twitter and Facebook and all the other social medias, you just need attention. She's like, what am I supposed to do? Work? Yep. Oh, yeah. Listen, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Go to college? Grad school? Work? work? No. I love that. I just need drama in my life, and that's all it takes. I think aside from the first two killers, Scream 1 killers, I think she's the best one. Yeah. I she's. I think it's Billion Stew and then her. Yeah, I think this monologue really saves her. You know, she really shines at this moment here when yeah. she starts going off about... Sick is the new saying. I thought that line was delivered really well. It's this, and then when she's injuring herself in a little bit. It, oh, she yeah, just, totally. Oh, that's one of the funniest scenes in the whole series. Yeah. So she ends up stabbing Charlie to death because he thinks they're Randy and Sydney, and Randy's going to get the girl this time. No, 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 no. You guys are really in stew. She's going to frame him and Trevor. And the thing about her, too, what she's doing really well right now is she's keeping her eye on Sydney the whole time. That gun is pointed at Sydney the whole time. She's not doing what Billy and Stu did, where they got lackadaisical and, and lost control of Sydney. So she's got that gun on Sydney. Sydney makes a move. She's going down. Constant vigilance. But Personified. She, but she does make her biggest mistake. Because yep. she stabs Sydney. Like, she's here to kill Sydney. She's going to be the new Sydney. She stabs her. Once. Once. Rule. And number six. six. Rule number six. Double tap. That is Jill's Down. biggest mistake fault mistake yeah. in the movie. Here's her downfall. Yep. She did not put Sydney away when she had the chance. You know, she had that gun on her the whole time. It could have easily taken her out and didn't do it. One more stab to the throat and she wins. Yep. It's game over. Yep. And she fails here. She couldn't close it. But Sydney, we think Sydney's dead. Right. And she should be dead. So Jill goes around injuring herself, like throwing herself into walls and into 
This Glass is, coffee tables. This is epic. She's scratching herself. She's pulling hair out of her head. Just stab, jams a knife into her oh, shoulder. Oh, yeah. I, I, I knew she stabbed herself, but I had no idea that she ran into the wall to do it. But runs into a picture frame and, like, throws herself through a glass coffee table. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it was really well done. She really shines. And lays herself down next to Sydney and passes out. Dewey and Judy arrive, and Jill gets wheeled into the hospital. The press has given her all the attention she's ever wanted. Dewey's comforting Jill. It's going to be okay. Jill mentions that, you know, she and Gail have matching wounds now and they can write a book together. <laughs> yeah, she slips up a second time. This yep. is her second slip up with the matching wounds. Yep. And Dewey lets her know that Sydney might live. So Jill's like, oh no, I screwed up. So Dewey leaves and Jill's like, okay, I got to go kill Sydney now. So she's just right up to it. Yep, hops out of bed, off she goes. Dewey and Gail have a talk, and Dewey mentions the matching wounds thing, and Gail's like, what? Well, how does she know we have the same wound? <laughs> so she realizes that Jill's the killer, and Dewey's like, oh, crap, and he just runs off after that. Yeah, he flies out of there. But it's so funny, they talked about Sydney being in ICU. Well, if you've ever been in ICU, there are people everywhere. <laughs> there are, you are, you know, you're connected to every machine in the building, and there's little old Sydney just laying in bed like nothing had happened to her. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, oh, she might not make it. Yeah, She seemed like she was doing fine. Yeah, she was doing pretty darn well. Yeah, I think this sequence could have been written better. There's some problems with this sequence for sure. Yeah, they didn't need to go in the whole, oh, she might make it, or it's it's touch and go, she's in ICU. No, she should, should have just said, she's going to be fine, yeah. she's going to make yep. it. They, they patched her up. Yeah, they, she got stabbed right where she got stabbed like last time. <laughs> she's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that, I don't know. She won't, uh, she won't even have a new scar. She's just got the old scar. <laughs> so Jill attacks Sydney, and th- this is a dirty fight. They're going for eyes and stitches. It's brutal. And, you know, good for them. Rule 20, fight dirty. Yeah, Jill's not a big girl, but she whips Sydney around like she's nothing. Yeah, but, you know, Sydney's going for the eyes, and it's, it's like you taught me. No such thing as fighting dirty if you're fighting for your life. Yep, uh, there are no rules when it comes to bad people. Yep. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to be kind. You don't have to be gentle. You don't have to be nice. There are no rules yep. when it comes to bad people. Do what you got to do. So Go gotta, for the eyes. If you got to stick four fingers in their eyeballs, you stick four fingers in their eyeballs. And that's exactly what Sydney tries to do. So props. I yep. like this a lot. So they, they have a pretty brutal fight, but Jill ends up winning. And as Dewey comes in, she beats him down with a bedpan. Bed <laughs> that was epic. <laughs> And then Gail arrived. Jill now has Dewey's gun. And Judy manages to grab her and they, they duck out of the way before they get shot. Yep, Judy comes in, saves, uh, comes in and saves Gail, which I think she, she would prefer if Gail disappears so she could have Dewey to herself. Yep. But she, she does her duty. Judy does her duty. Man, that would have been a great twist. And Judy's like, how about this? I'll help you cover this up. But we got to kill Gail, and Dewey doesn't know about this. Right. That would have been a good twist. Um, as long as Gail, as long as Dewey's knocked out, I can become Dewey's next wife. <laughs> so they end up taking cover, and Jill's like, all right, give up your gun, come out, otherwise I'm going to blow off Dewey's head. And she gives up her gun, and she's like, wait, don't do anything. Jill doesn't give a crap and shoots her anyway. Shoots Judy. I like it. No double tap. Still got to do that, but I like that she doesn't let her give a monologue. So good for Jill there, but then she screws up and lets a Gail stall and slowly come out drawing everything out for Sydney to get the crash cart ready to go and zap her in the head you know the interesting thing here too is that you now have gunshots in supposedly the ICU of a hospital and nobody shows up to lend a hand or even stick their head in the door <laughs> I think uh, modern healthcare took a step back in this town. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here in Woodsboro, but I think they need some healthcare reform. Or help something. bring on the healthcare reform. <laughs> 
Judy, it's revealed Judy's live. She's wearing a bulletproof vest. So good for Judy. She's thinking ahead. Yep. And Jill is still alive. And she comes back one more time, but Sidney picks up the gun and shoots her. Yep. Don't mess with the original. Yep. I learned my lesson again. I will double tap you. You are going down. Yep. Jill. And final scene of the movie is the outside. The press is talking about how much of a hero Jill is. And that is going to be an unfortunate retraction for all of those new studios. Yep, they are. There's like seven of them lined up, and they're talking about how great Jill is, the savior of Woodsboro. Mm. Awkward. Uh, that's Scream 4. So what do we get? One new rule? Yeah, rule number 34, wear sensible footwear. Wear sensible footwear. <laughs> Uh, that's a good rule, I think. I think that's that's useful. I think Nike's going to be very happy with that rule. <laughs> yeah, just get rid of all your high heels and just wear running shoes all the time. Yep. Period. Any event, any anything you're going to do, you wear your, uh, your running shoes so you're ready to go. Maybe you have some hiking boots ready just in case, yep. but other than that... Hiking boots and running shoes are the only two pairs of shoes you need. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's go over these awards. We, we got two awards to give out here. The first is the Randy Meeks Merit Badge, in which he goes to the, the character who did the best job at following the rules. They don't necessarily need to have survived, but it's the character who did the best job at following the rules. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. I'm curious to see what you think here, Dad. I think Judy does a pretty doggone ju- good job. Yeah, Judy's uh, pretty competent. Judy, I think, is definitely a contender. And the... I, I can't put Sydney in here because she should be dead. And it's only by Jill's mistake that she's alive. Right. So that leaves Gail and Judy, I think, are the only two we can talk about. I don't think anybody else does well enough to be talked about here. Yeah, they all just ignore every rule and they're just doing whatever they want to do. So I have to agree that, you know, either, it's either Judy or Gail. And it's, you know, to me, it sounds like it's got to be Gail pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, Gail's not perfect either. But I think she's she's trying hard. She's doing a lot right. She's trying to save people and help herself out, as Gail does. She's trying to build her career. Yes, but you know you can do selfish acts, self-centered acts, and help people along the way. She is. Let's put it this way: she is highly motivated. Not necessarily it's all in the best interest of everyone else, but survival. You know, she won't have a career if she doesn't survive. So um, she certainly makes sure she's going to survive and build her career. So I think, yeah, she's probably the star of this one. And, hey, you know, that, that's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly kind of what Joel did in Scream 2, and he won this award. You know, if you can, if you can survive a horror movie and profit, why not? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think it's Gail. You know, she does get taken out of basically the third act, but she's the one who figures out that Jill is the killer. She's the one who stalls long enough for Sydney to save the day. She does have enough forethought to call in for backup at the the Stabathon party. And she tries to get the Stabathon party shut down and, you know, or, or get the address for it. And she's working really hard to work with Dewey to get this thing rolling. Yeah. So she's not she's not trying to go off on her own, but he's giving her no choice. Yeah, Dewey's shutting her down. It's it's this is a, a mark against Dewey, not against Gail, I think, for a lot of the faults that Gail runs into. It's not really her fault, it's Dewey's. Yep, totally. So I think you know, last week we gave it to Jennifer Aniston. I think Courtney Cox wins this time. That's Best funny. of friends. Gail Weathers wins the Randy Meeks merit badge. Yep, I agree. All right, now we have the Night of the Living Pleb Award, which goes to the character who does the worst job at following the rules to survive. And this is based off Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. So, Night of the Living Pleb. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. The entire cast. (laughs) 
the police force, everyone, just throw the whole cast at it. You know, Haas and Perkins are definitely in the conversation. The big, 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 big in the conversation. The only thing earlier in the film, they at least did something right. Right. They were trying to do when they went searching around the house. They were trying to find the killer. During the Olivia kill. So I think the biggest mistake of this entire movie, because we have so many characters who are screwing up constantly. I think the biggest thing in this movie is the Stabathon party. Like, why are we having this? This is so dumb. Cut this party out. Don't go to it. And Kirby, Trevor, and Robbie are all at this party. And Charlie's too, but he's a killer. So I think the three of them are the biggest offenders. And we can kind of ignore Trevor because he, we don't know really what ended up happening to him. So between Kirby and Robbie, at least Kirby knows her horror movie trivia. Right. You know, Robbie got, went to this party, went to the after party, got wasted drunk, got, was messed around with his webcam, not paying attention outside all by himself. Wandering around on his own outside drunk. While there's a killer on the loose that he knows about. Does he do anything right in the whole movie? No. Nope. I don't think so. I think he's clearly the Night of the Living Club. Yeah, the other thing too is that clearly his best friend is Charlie. And Charlie keeps disappearing to make these kills. (laughs) And he doesn't notice that his buddy always happens to be gone when someone's dying. Constant vigilance. Yeah, he's not paying attention. So you agree with Robbie? I agree with Robbie. So he's the Night of the Living Club anymore. All right. So dead. Do you want to come back on the podcast? Sure. Did you have fun? Yeah, it was fun. It was it was very entertaining. So you get to reserve yourself a movie. Wow, I had not given it any thought whatsoever. Tremors. Yeah, I will definitely do Tremors. Tremors is one of the yeah. best movies ever. Yeah, I, I like that pick. I've been really itching to do that one. So, uh, all right, Tremors is reserved. Love it. Okay, so now you get to spin the wheel. We have Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Children of the Corn, which is our newest edition, replacing Scream... Text Chainsaw Massacre 2, Halloween 5, Child's Play, Leprechaun 2, Saw 2, and Friday the 13th 3. Dad, go ahead and spin the wheel. Oh, the anticipation is building. Here we go. It is. Oh, yes. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Freddy's Revenge. Oh, I'm excited. That'll be Josh, and he has no idea what he's in for. <laughs> because that is a movie. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Oh, boy. Oh, man, that's going to be a fun one. I'm excited. All right, so that about does it here. Dad, do you want to plug your Twitter account or anything? I do not have any social media of any kind. Lies. Here's what I will say to the whole world. Be kind to each other. Not everybody has to go to war over social media topics. Um, <laughs> learn from these people in this movie. Do the right thing. Be kind to each other. It's not to, it's not the end of the world if someone disagrees with you. All right. Uh, okay. And you can follow us on Twitter at HowToHorror and on Instagram at How to Survive a Horror Movie. Yeah, that about does it for us. This has been How to Survive a Horror Movie. Stay safe out there. Uh, uh.